2020. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim Chesco. Hey, Chet, we could call tonight the 70s show with former Eagles special team captain and one of our favorite guests, Kevin Riley. He's going to join us in the first half and Bob Hound Kelly in the second half, just one day after the 46th anniversary of winning that first Stanley Cup. Besides that, you and I are going to pick our eight favorite flyers to watch. I'm fired up for this one tonight. Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, we're having a blast doing these shows this way here on Facebook Live, and two of our favorite guests are joining us, as you said. Going to be loads of fun, but, Bill, i got to remind you, we have new rules here, no spitting. Yeah, that's right. No spitting <laughs> and no and no uh, sunflower seeds. Nothing. Nothing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's hey. right. Before we get started talking football and hockey, Chet, tell the viewers about our Philly Press Box Radio Mount Rushmore piece we did that's now up on YouTube. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, over a span of five shows, we assembled our personal Mount Rushmores of the greatest Philly pro athletes from the mid-60s or so till the present. And we had such a good time doing it, we decided to do sort of a recap show over the weekend uh, when we got to talk a little bit more about our selections, the easy ones, you know, Wilt, Bobby Clark, Schmitty, and well, three other greats on our bloated Mount Rushmore. As you noted, we agreed on four of them. The fifth guy that we had, we went with five total. We disagreed on one, but that's not bad. So find out who we chose by watching our little 17 minute recap show on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, type Philly Press Box in the search and uh, watch the video while you're there. Make sure you subscribe to our channel. Yeah, and you know what we need to do, Chet? Uh, when we get Kevin on, since he's a lifelong Philly fan, uh, we need to get his five. We'll put him on the spot and make him come up with five quick ones uh, that he's unprepared for and see if we could get Kevin Riley's Mount Rushmore. But, hey, one last thing. Uh, let the listeners know about our venture with Edge of Philly Sports. We're excited about that, too. Well, you know what? Because we have a full show and our first guest is here and ready to roll, I'm going to hold off on that for now, Bill, and uh, I'll tell you about that later in the show. And, folks, uh, sadly, because we have such a jam-packed show, I think Bill and I are going to have to postpone our planned uh, duet of Stop Dragging My Heart Around. We'll do that another week. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, let's get rolling. Let's welcome one of our favorites, as we said, Kevin Riley, back to Philly Press Box Radio. But, hey, this time, we're going to talk about something a little bit different, Jet, besides Eagles. We'll certainly talk about that, but we're going to talk about legendary Dolphins coach Don Shula. Kevin, welcome back, my man. How you guys doing? Can you hear me? We hear you now, Kevin. All right. Uh, Kevin, before we talk about Coach Shula and other football topics, first things first, how are you and your family doing during this pandemic? Everybody okay? Everybody's great. The only, the only problem, first of all, guys, I want everybody to know I'm very fortunate. I have a 50% chance less of getting this disease than anybody out there. And the reason is I can only touch my face with one hand. So, <laughs> but I've got, and including, including myself, my wife, uh, my son-in-law and his girlfriend, we're all working from home. It's the first time I ever had to stand in line at my own printer at my own house, but everything's <laughs> going pretty well. My 11 grandkids are good. And that's all that really matters, isn't it? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Kevin, we may have talked uh, about this with you the very first time you joined us five and a half years ago, but while you played the first two years of your NFL career with the Eagles, you were actually drafted in 1973 out of Villanova by the Miami Dolphins, fresh off their 1972 perfect season, of course. Their coach, the legendary Don Shula, who just left us recently. Tell us about your time with Coach Shula. Well, you know, it was a really unique experience. First of all, you know, here I am, I'm a junior and senior in college, and I watched two Super Bowls that the Miami Dolphins have won uh, or were in. They, they got beat the first one, then they, they won the second one. And here I am um, at a Villanova basketball game during the draft. And the only way we got draft, you know, information was by telephone. Uh, the sixth round had gone by. Uh, it looked like the seventh round was going to be seven through 14. They had 14 rounds in those days. was going to go the second day. I was very disappointed, and I walked down to the basketball game on the Villanova campus. And at halftime, uh, I was tapped on the shoulder, and our athletic director, Jim Murray, was waving to me to come up. And I came up, and Don Shula was on the phone, and he said, we've just taken you as the first guy in the seventh round. I was the 160th player taken. And what was really cool about it is dejected as I was, Chet, uh, you know, walking down to the field house thinking, darn, I was hoping it would happen today. Everybody was rooting for me to happen. Uh, we kind of left a party atmosphere in my room back at the dorm. Well, I get back into the, the arena, the basketball team is warming up and the announcer announces it over the phone. And it couldn't have been better than if I had planned it. It was in the arena. Everybody was cheering me. It was really great. But wow. I get the call, and, you know, it was an, almost a, a surreal situation talking to Coach Shula. He was a legend in my mind. And here they had come off the 1972 season undefeated. I don't know if you saw, but they have been picked as the best NFL team ever by some uh, standard that did, that did it. And rightfully so. That team in 1971 won 12-4-1. The next year they went 17 and 0, and then in 73, I'm the last guy cut. They win another Super Bowl and they go 15 and 2. So how about for a three-year record? And I haven't checked this out, but 44 six and ones, not bad. Wow. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Well, hey Kevin, I had an opportunity actually um, a stroke of luck at a memorabilia show. I was kind of in the back room, and I had a chance to talk with Larry Little. Manny Fernandez, Larry's uncle, and talking about Coach Shula and about how he was, um, he was so, what's the right word? Um, can't think of the right word. He, he was, he wouldn't let anybody know anything. He, he closed all the doors. He closed practices. He was so self-conscious that anybody would find out anything that he was off the charts crazy. I'll tell you, Bill, you just brought up something I haven't thought of in years. I was down for the North-South Shrine game, and it was in Miami, and they were practicing, and it was 1972. It was December of 1972. They played it in Miami, North-South Shrine game. I'm representing the North from Villanova, and my uncle came to watch practice, and we only had a morning practice, and that afternoon he said, let's get down and watch the Dolphins practice. We went down to Biscayne College. Just the two of us got out of a car. I, you know, bluffed my way through the security guy saying I was a, a potential dolphin coming up, just, you know, baloney in him. We're standing at the fence 
And Don Shula himself came over and said, guys, practice is closed. And he asked us to leave very politely. And so I can believe that because then, you know, it was really crazy when I got drafted. I knew where the training site was, all that. It was really a deja vu comeback. But, you know, he was very secure. I'll tell you something. One of the funniest things I ever heard said about Coach Shula and how smart he was. He was a very smart coach. was said by Bum Phillips. You remember Bum Phillips from the Houston Oilers. And Bum said he could take your team and beat my team, and he could take my team and beat your team. You know, he was just that kind of guy where he was really attention to detail. Um, one thing about Coach Shula, I'll tell you, he was really tough, but he was fair and consistent. And as I went on to professional life in, in corporations and stuff, one of the leadership qualities that I, I uh, admired most was if you were fair and consistent, People really respected you. They didn't have to love you, but they respected you. And Don Shula had that respect from every player down there. Now, he, of course, was still just uh, in his 40s at that time. Um, Did you get to talk with him later after you left the Dolphins, after they cut you? Did you get to, you know, hang out with him at at some point in the future? Did you uh, reminisce with him about your time there? Well, he remembered me. Um, He was was a, a Catholic, a very good Catholic, and uh, we were at Biscayne College, and they had mass there every morning. And I'd go occasionally, like maybe two days a week, and he was there every day. So that gave us a little bit of bonding. And he had also been to my high school when he was at Virginia, recruiting kids from my high school, Salesianum, to go to Virginia. And he uh, tried to get the uh, the head coach uh, from Salesianum to come down when he was with the Baltimore Colts. So we had those things in common. But, um, you know, to answer your question, Chet, uh, he was, uh, when I got cut, usually the defensive coordinator is the guy that says, Hey, get your playbook. You've been traded. You've been cut, whatever. They asked me to get down and see coach Shula. It was one week before the opening season. And that was truly odd. And I was on all the special teams getting ready for the first game. And the, the veterans for the first time were talking to me and saying things like, Hey kid, looks like you made the team. And I didn't want to believe it because they knew there was one more cut coming up. And sure enough, when I went into Shula's office, he said, you're a very unlucky guy today. He said, I got a call from Joe Paterno last night, a guy by the name of Bruce Bannon, who was a second round draft tourist with the Jets. He flushed out as a linebacker. He couldn't backpedal like they wanted him to. Now, if you remember, uh, we had we had a guy in the 53 defense, and um, I'm trying to think of his last name. And he – yeah. Bob. And he was a hybrid defensive end linebacker. And now they're all over the league. And Bruce Bannon was big enough to play the defensive end part. I wasn't. And he said, if I didn't get this call last night, and I trust Joe Paterno, he said he could be the backup for our 53 guy. He said, you would be on this team today. Because he saw my head down here and he came over, he picked my chin up and he said, hey, listen, you didn't get cut by the Pottstown Firebirds. You just got cut by the world champion Miami Dolphins somebody's going to pick you up. Boy, did that make me feel better. And, you know, as I look back now, guys, Harold Carmichael is going into the Hall of Fame. The only Eagle that I played with in three years or two and a half years that's got, that I played with that's in a hall, is a Hall of Famer. When I was in that camp, they had six. Larry Zonka, Bob Greasy, Larry Little, Nick Bonacani, Paul Warfield, and Jim Langer, the center. On top of that, Don Shula made the Hall of Fame, 
and general manager Bobby Beathard, who drafted me, made the Hall of Fame. Wow, what kind of company was I in? Hmm. Wow. wow. Hey, Kevin, I wanted to ask you, as, as the um, accolades came in for Coach Shula, you know, recently when he passed, um, hearing the, the guys reminded me a lot of Coach Vermeil. It's almost like, you know, he was a uh, – he was a taskmaster, if that's the right word to use. But the respect that came afterwards, maybe, um, was, was off the charts. And I, I feel like the Eagles, a lot of you former Eagles feel that way about Coach Vermeil, the same way that the ex-Dolphins feel about Coach Shula. Uh, those two, you know, that's Bill, you brought up a great comparison. Those two guys were alike in so many ways. Their work ethic was incredible. And they also put the teams to work ethic. Our practices in Miami in 1973 were usually in 90 degree heat plus. We went out at 10 in the morning or you know, nine, nine o'clock in the morning. And we came in at, at 1130. So two and a half hour practices in the morning heat. And then that in the afternoon, we went from three to 530. Two and a half practices, two and a half hour practice in the afternoon. Full pads, full hitting and no water on the field. Now that changed the following year in 74 when they made some big changes, but it was really tough. It was like going through, you know, some kind of Marine camp and they watched you to see if you could take it. And the one thing about coach Vermeil and, and coach Shula, they both remind me of this. People don't, as a leader, as a coach, as a manager, people don't care about how much you know until people know about how much you care. Those guys knew what they were doing, but they cared about you as a human being. And, you know, you said to me, uh, did I ever run into Shula afterwards? I did. I ran into him three times, and all three times he acknowledged me, knew my name, wanted to know what was going on. Just, you know, just surprised the heck out of me. I was one of a thousand guys that went through his training camps, and he remembered my name. It was just very, very special. Pretty cool. Well, Kevin, the Eagles coach in 1973 and 74 was Mike McCormick. You were gone from Philly by the time Coach Vermeil arrived in 76. Right. Refresh my memory. How did you and Coach Vermeil end up becoming such great friends? Well, it's a funny story, um, and it's in my book, of course, but my father bugged me so bad because I hadn't heard in two weeks. Uh, I mean, I had and no, no NFL teams had any interest in me or had called my agent. And I had a very top-notch agent. And my, and my father every morning would say, if I was you, Kev, I'd just go up there and tell Mike McCormick that I got cut by the world champion Miami Dolphins and could I have a tryout? I said, Dad, that's not the way you do things. He, <laughs> he got me, he got under my skin so bad, I said, tomorrow I'm going up. I went up, I sat in the stands at Veterans Stadium, watched practice, I jumped the fence. I went over to Mike McCormick, who was talking to Boyd Dowler, the receiver coach, the great Hall, you know, Hall of Famer from uh, Green Bay, and I stuttered. I said, Coach, my, 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 my name is Kevin Riley, and I, I just got released by the Miami Dolphins, and I was wondering if you could give me a, a tryout. And then I felt like, what is he going to say? And he went, hold on, hold on a second. He said, how did you get in here? <laughs> and one thing led to another, and he brought Jim Cat Cabbage, who was the player scout over. To make a long story short, he said, bring your, bring your shoes up tomorrow, and we'll try you out. They tried me out, and that afternoon I signed a contract with them. Wow. And it was just incredible. So when I got cut by the, by the New England Patriots, I went up to Widener College. I pulled the same stunt. 
<laughs> and I got a hold of Vermeil. Vermeil took my name down. He was on his way to dinner. It was after the afternoon practice. But because I was the player representative, which I think was one of the reasons I got traded in New England, they didn't want a rabble rouser like me back on the team. And he told me later on that um, he got a bad report that I was uh, like a shop steward. <laughs> and I really wasn't, but that's the way it went. So that's how I got to meet the coach. And then we had so many friends in common and I went to so many things that we became very, very good friends. That's great. Well, hey, Kevin, we're going to run out of time. So I want to be sure that we talk about your book. You've still got that going. You've got the hard, uh, hard copy out now. Uh, let everyone know how they can get a hold of that. It is a super duper read. What uh, what really uh, people want to hear from me, and I'll tell you, you can get it on Amazon. All you have to do is go on Amazon and look up Tackling Life. But the other thing you can do, if you go on Facebook and you send me a message, I can send you an autographed personalized copy, and I'll just put a little invoice in it in a self-addressed envelope that'll come back to me. I'm a very trusting soul. I've done this for over 100 books. And I, nobody has not paid. Everybody has paid. So, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to do it. And it's something special about having the author sign a book and personalizing it. And uh, it's called Tackling Life. We're in the second edition. We sold the first 4,000 copies and hopefully we'll sell the next four. There it is right there. Yep. And, it's a great book. Uh, uh, it's really doing much better than I thought. As a matter of fact, I told the president of Villanova, Dr. F Father Donahue, that I wanted my C plus in English changed to an A because I'm now an author. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Kevin, you, uh, when I saw you last, I uh, was over at a book signing over there at the uh, store in Delaware. Um, you haven't obviously been able to do that recently. Are you, are you trying to get some things lined up for when we get back out? Yeah, well, you know, um, I've been doing a lot of videos because a lot of the, a lot of the organizations, you know, I do motivational speaking too. And a lot of the organizations that I have spoken to, I've asked them, would they like a, you know, a little 60 second motivational talk? And it started, it really started with nurses and doctors um, at one of the hospitals, you know, and I just went on telling them what warriors they were. And you know, that shirt I have that says tough times don't laugh, tough people do. Well, I would send those out or wear it. And, you know, from those things there, I'm just trying to stay relevant, but uh, I'm going to have a big, um, if you look on Facebook in about a week, I'm going to have a big sale for the book for Father's Day. And uh, hopefully we'll move some copies that way. But, you know, as soon as we get back into to work in here, I think things are going to be fine again. Hey, Kevin, just an aside, uh, Bill and I have been doing our little show now for just over six years. And you are our very first ever 15-time visitor, one more than the great Ray Dittinger. Oh, my gosh. I am so – to be in Ray Dittinger's shadow is just is just unbelievable. And I'll tell you, Bill hasn't done bad for a guy that went to Collingdale High School. <laughs> I try to keep him in line. Yeah. You guys do a great job. One last thing for you. I don't know if you heard us talking on our on our lead in. We did our own little Mount Rushmore the other uh, over the last handful of weeks. Yep. We came up with I'll five, follow you guys. Five guys. You got you got five. You had to have seen them. See, we didn't see Bednarik. You're being a year or two older than us may have seen Bednarik, so we didn't <laughs> include him in our list. But you got five favorites. Oh yeah, Johnny Callison, Mike Schmidt, Wilt Chamberlain. Chuck Bednarik, and you're no one would ever guess my fifth. Ike Kelly, the bet, the greatest special teamer wow. ever to play the game. Number fifty-one in your program, number one in your heart. Ike well, Kelly, I remember him. Great, great, great. 
All right. Well, hey, Kevin, we certainly appreciate you coming back with us for the 15th time. And uh, one other thing, too, you know, on our website, phillypressboxradio.com, your book is still there. Uh, they can click on that when they go to our website. It's down, you know, it's down toward the bottom of the page. Click on that. It goes to Amazon and uh, they can get their books there as well. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for having me anytime. And I'm, I'm I want to come on. I got to go on two more times to beat Ray. Yeah. <laughs> we'll keep you in the clubhouse lead. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Kevin. Hey, appreciate it as always. And uh, stay healthy. And I'll see you uh, roaming around Delaware. All right, buddy. Be good. Thanks, All Kevin. right. Hey, Ken, if you're looking for insurance in the tri-state area, we got the spot for you. All state insurance in Westchester, PA. Yes, we do, Bill. One of the best benefits of having an all-state insurance policy is getting a local agent like Dave Lavoie, who is dedicated to you. Building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs. Someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what's most important to you and your family. Call Dave today at Allstate in Westchester. Westchester, Pennsylvania, that is 610-430-0700. Again, 610-430-0700. And, Bill, this little tune is part shelter-at-home music, as well as being a little gift from a guy who was on our show last week, the great Willie Nile. The president starring in a new game show. Santa Claus singing out ho, ho, ho. Hey everybody, it's Willie Nile here, and you're listening to Chet and Bill on Philly Press Box Radio. You lucky people. Good stuff. Hey Bill, I should note, Willie's new album, uh, New York at Night, which uh, we talked about last week, it came out last Friday, and it's been getting rave reviews. I'll give you my review later on. Hey, and, I, and I'll tell you, uh, since I had a lot of driving time over uh, on Monday, Headed south. Uh, I listened to a lot of Willie Nile. I listened to a lot of that album. It's good stuff. He's awesome. Yes, sir. Well, hey, Chet, with Mount Rushmore complete, all of our favorite team listings are complete, except for the Flyers. Uh, we're going to get that, that done tonight. So we had to narrow it down to eight, and it was really, really tough. You and know, this was this was maybe even harder than the whole Mount Rushmore project. So many great, likable Flyers over the years. I mean, to settle on eight favorites, it was tough. I, I chose four from the cup years in the mid-70s, four more recent guys. But, uh, man, not making the cut. Here, these are the guys who did not make my cut of favorite flyers. Names like Dave Schultz, Kenny the Rat, Linsman, the Count Bob Daly. I loved him. Uh, Tom Bladen, Danny Briere, Reggie the Rifle Leach, John LeClaire, Ron Hextall, Rock, uh, Rick Tockett, Eric Desjardins, and more recently, of course, Claude Giroux. Even Hall of Famer Mark Howe did not make my list. So many great flyers, so many fun flyers, but those guys not in my top or favorite eight. Well, and, and I had a li little bit of a long list, too, of near misses, and I didn't even have some of the ones that you had. Uh, Mark Howe, Bill Barber, Tim Kerr, uh, who I had in, and then I moved wow. him out because I forgot somebody else. Uh, Rod Brindamore, John LeClaire, Brad McCrimmon, the other guy I really liked that you didn't yeah. make. Uh, what a list. And just, I couldn't even think of them all. There were so many that I really enjoyed. And uh, so I'm at eight. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go four through eight. We're going to throw them out there. Then we'll get a little slower on our final three. So 
Lay out your uh, four through eight. Let's have it. Okay, here we go. In no particular order, Bill, my numbers four through eight. Uh, the great Bill Barber, who you mentioned, I'm surprised he's not on your list. I loved watching Billy Barber. He finished second in the Rookie of the Year, balloting to that uh, Steve Vickers. Was that his name? Uh, love Bill Barber. The hardworking Rod Brindamore, who you also mentioned. I loved Brindy. He could have been in my top three. I loved him so much. And two guys that have made multiple appearances on our show, the high-scoring, undersized winger Brian Propp. I'm actually bigger than Brian Propp, believe it or not. I stand next to him. He's 5'9", 5'9 I'm 5'11". Hard to believe he's a little better player than me. And I swear I loved watching this guy play every time he raced onto the ice. And that is, yes, Bob Hound Kelly. He just happens to be our second guest this week. I loved watching Hound whenever he came on the ice. Absolutely. Well, here's my four through eight, Chet. And uh, you're probably going to find this a little bit hard to believe. But Bernie Perron is one of them. I, I didn't go with a goaltender. Uh, I just didn't go with a goaltender. I, I just didn't. Uh, Brian Propp was also on that list, certainly way at the top. And you know I think Propp should be a Hall of Famer. Um, Rick Tockett. Loved everything about Rick Tockett. Just tough as nails. You wanted something done in the corners. He was the guy. He'd fight. He'd score. He'd do it all. Rick Tockett. Mike Richards. I always liked Mike Richards, and I thought he was a good player. And, uh, you know, maybe he had a little too much going on outside the game, uh, you know, that, that got him in a little trouble here. But I always thought he was a big game player, and I, I really liked Mike Richards. And, of course, Claude Giroux, you know, I like him. Uh, by the time it's all said and done, Giroux's going to be way up at the top three in all the offensive categories for the Flyers. So uh, Claude Giroux's my favorite flyer now for sure. So that's my uh, four through eight. That gets us to the top three. Now, remember, this is not necessarily the best players. These are the guys we like to watch. These are favorites. All right. You ready? Oh. Num these are in order now, reverse order. Number three on my list, big number 88. Eric Lindros. He was just so much fun to watch when he was healthy. Eric Lindros. Uh, man, what a beast. I wish he could have stayed healthy and had more great years with the Flyers. Number two, the guy who was so great in those two Stanley Cup winning finals. And he's also one of the greatest human, human beings on the planet. Fresh from his visit last month to our show. Number one on the jersey and number two on my list, Bernie Perrant. And my number one had to be, of course, the captain, the MVP, the heart and soul of those 1970s Flyers teams, Bobby Clark. There you go. Well, and uh, we're, we're close there. Um, my number three was Dave Schultz. And Whoa. Dave Schultz, along with the Bob Kelly and Don Seleski and Moose Dupont and all those guys that made up the Broad Street Bullies, that did, did whatever it took to get the job done. And uh, so that's where I went with number three. My number two was Eric Lindros. Uh, man, you know, a man among boys, no doubt, uh, when he played. And my number one, like yours, was Bobby Clark. So that is that is our eight. And, uh, man, it was tough. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah, we could have had so many more, but we settled on uh, those eight. And uh, we agreed on two out of our top three, Clark and Lindros. And I had uh, Bernie Perrant in there. You had Dave Schultz. Yep, yep. All right. Well, hey, that was fun. We've done all the teams now. So um, maybe we'll have to get the Hounds take on uh, on his top eight. You think he's got eight that he could throw up? Here? <laughs> oh, I think so. Let's he, get it going. Flyers to watch. Maybe maybe we could get a good list coming out of him. 
But, hey, let's get going. Uh, we're talking hockey. Let's do it. Two-time Stanley Cup champion, one of the main Broad Street bullies, Bob Hound Kelly. Welcome back to Philly Press Fox Radio. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it very much. Hey, Hound. <clears throat> Welcome back. So nice to see your smiling face. Uh, so, hey, as you're well aware, May 19th was the anniversary of that first Stanley Cup victory. You, unfortunately, Bob, suffered a knee injury in the previous series, I believe, against the Rangers. I'm sure it was tough to you up for you to have to sit out the finals against the Bruins but still how satisfying was it for you guys to become the first of the expansion teams to break through and win the cup well you know what uh our whole team back in that era we were never about ourselves our individual points in that we, we just wanted to play as a team and win as a team and uh I got knocked out Ronnie Harris he caught me I was filling in for Doran Hoffer he was hurting out uh, I think some other guys were hurting out too so um I had a chance to play in, in the last game in the Spectrum, but I warmed up. I got a, about a three-second cameo appearance skating by the bench. But, you know, Bruce Cowick Bruce was healthy. There's a healthy kid there, and you can't sacrifice the team just for you to be there to play. So uh, that's why the second cup was a little bit better. So I was just a spectator. Plus, I, in those days, the old Boston Garden and stuff, I, like, I couldn't even travel with the, with the players, you know, on the plane, go there to Boston. So it was kind of a tough run, but, um, you know, I – paid my dues throughout the course of the year with everybody and it was good I mean it just uh you know it was an outstanding win like you said it was a a big boost for Philadelphia people fans and that the, the city came together I mean it was awesome uh two million people uh it was awesome and we were the first team to expansion team to win the cup so yep. pretty significant fact there and uh you know having a guy like Freddie Sherrill and, and Ed Snyder and Keith Allen everybody enjoying it I mean they, they put the team together it was awesome well, Bob, when you, you guys bounce right back the next year, you win you win another one. Um, did, did you guys think you were on a kind of a dynasty roll there, that there were going to be even more than two? Winning two is awful. Winning one's awful tough. Winning two is certainly tough. Yeah, what well, just goes to show you when you're talking about that, the teams like uh, when Montreal defeated us in 76 the next year, uh, they went on to win four in a row. Then the Islanders go four in a row. Then Edmonton goes four in a row. I mean, you don't get there without first great goaltending and working from the way out. You get there as playing as a team. You get there from bonding with each other. You, you got to suffer together. You got to fight adversity together. You got to win and win the battles, tough cities to go into. And, you know, when you win a cup, it's tough, like you say, to come back two in a row because everybody wants to knock you off. So, you know, you're traveling a long road trip and stuff like that. Everybody's prepared for you. They want to beat you. They want to see you get beat. So it's a, it's a great challenge, a great motivator. But, uh, you know, we're just happy and just a, a great place for me to land. And, you know, Mr. Snyder took a chance on me, so it was good. Bob, you're still in the area, of course. You're doing some uh, things for the Flyers, community relations and whatnot. How often do people remind you about those back-to-back -back cups, the parades, and just how much the team's meant to Flyers fans? <clears throat> They'll come up to you. I mean, I'm, I'm in the type of situation where I'm kind of a meet-and-greet guy, a little less handshaking these days, a little more boot-kicking. But, uh you know, the, the people are, are just really good and they brought their kids along and there's so much history here in the city of Philadelphia for all the sports uh, teams and stuff like that. It, it's different than it was back in the old days. I mean, Philadelphians were looking for something to grab onto. It's a hardworking blue collar town. It's probably more of a tech town right now. It was still that hard blue collar attitude going out there and uh, they just latched on to us. I mean, we get 15,000 people to go play softball game at Vet Stadium, you know, raising money for charity and doing things. And it was a big belief. Uh, big belief with Mr. Snyder that is giving back to the community, being involved in the community. So we would attend all kinds of events and you'd have everybody show up. Uh, we used to play the iron workers every year religiously. I mean, 
they got huge arms on them. They're smacking the ball out of the ball field. And, you know, and then they say, okay, now you're going to come and drink with us after the game. So it was, it was kind of cool. It was kind of cool. Hey, hey, Bob, I wanted to ask you back back to the game situation. You know, I don't remember back when you played so much as, as currently where, and there's not a lot of fighting now, but, you know, with a little tap on the shin, like uh, let, let's dance kind of thing. You see that more now. Did that happen as much back then, or was it more kind of impulsive? And, and my, my follow-up to that is uh, everybody didn't win every fight. Um, do you do, do you become friends with those guys, <laughs> you know, uh, as life goes on? Well, you know, back then in the day, uh, we didn't have a players' union, so uh, we really did hate everybody, and is the way is the way it should be. And you know what happened is like. Uh, Difference between Schultz and I. Schultz, Schultz wanted to be the baddest, the baddest guy out there. He wanted to be the worst ass that everybody wanted to be at, and so he would challenge. He would challenge, just go out and basically do the same thing. Challenge all the tough guys who want to fight and go with him. I was a guy that kind of more or less fought for the team. So if you're out there taking liberties at some of the guys, the little smaller guys, whatever. I mean, that's generally when I got involved. Um, every now and then I go try somebody and see how that worked out. If it's not good, I go back to the old routine. But. Uh, <laughs> You know, the, the stage fighting is, uh, you know, you, it's an honor to fight La Rock. It's an honor to fight this guy. They allow you to fight these guys. Um, it's a different set of rules, but uh, I tell you, we've always had a, a bunch of very interesting guys to follow. Uh, the Dave Browns, Cochran, uh, you know, we've had Brash here. Ben Wilson was a terror. I mean, we had we had a lot of tough guys over here, very energetic. And, and you know, Daryl Stanley was back there. So we always had a, had a tough team. And the guys that couldn't fight, they still played tough anyways. And you skate a little bit taller, but, uh, you know, our guys would go to go to the pits, go to the front of the nets when you can take liberties. And Billy Smith, would, I still owe him three or four times for at least hitting me in the back of the legs, the ankles. Hmm. Uh, so it's all good, though. But, you know, at the end of the day, like uh, those Islander guys, you don't find a better set of guys in them. Uh, you know, Tonali and Nystrom and Howard and, and Billy and the guys back there. And same as Montreal, as much as you hated them playing against them. Um, you know, at the end of the day, they're good guys. And sometimes they end up being your teammates. Hey, Bob, you played left wing uh, from time to time on Bobby Clark's line. Was Clarkie as great a leader as it seemed to all of us watching? Yeah, he was. <clears throat> he, uh, I got here as a year behind him. And uh, I played the first year, him and I and Louis Morrison. And uh, we had some chemistry, but we didn't have we didn't have a whole lot of talent. I mean, we struggled in certain areas and that. And you know, some of the teams were quicker than us. But uh, the work work ethic and the, and and the preparation put in for the games and all that, you, you could tell he was a, he was a force in the locker room uh, before he got to see. And uh, when he went away to the '72, uh, the Russian Canada series. And Phil Esposito made that big pitch there at the end in Vancouver, how bad, you know, they've been treated and everything. And he said, we'll make a difference over in, in Russia. And, you know, Ferguson walks in, he says, you know what, somebody's got to take Karlamov out. So, you know, Clarkie went over there as the fifth centerman. So he just went out, broke his ankle, you know, and now you move on and play the game. So, I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. And that, that series, that's the first time Clarkie had been around that many all-stars at one time. And, uh, you know, you're playing with so many great guys and just elevated and he got his shot and he made the best of it. But uh, his work and determination, um, we were the first team, I believe, back in that day of 12 teams to take the take the sweatsuits to David Gamesgate and ditch him. Uh, it was time to wear your equipment out there. It makes a difference in how you play. And we first got to use video, um, Nick, Mike Nicklick in for a video there with Freddie and everything. So we had a lot of different change, a lot of great stuff. But uh 
everybody came in with a great character and a great set of values, which it, it's about the team. It's not about us. Hey, Bob, do you get uh, asked as much about the, the Flyers-Russia game in 76 as you do about the Stanley Cup games? Um, yeah, they're pretty well. They Obviously, the first two Cups were uh, ranked one and two in Philadelphia, and then the Russian game was up there at three. And then, of course, now you got, you know, if you move on, we've had a lot of great highlights, uh, you know, 85, 87. Um, you know, so we've, we've had good highlights throughout and all that. But, you know, those are three. I mean, there was a Cold War going on. Uh, Clarkie still hated the Russians back at that point in time. So <laughs> a few years didn't bother him. He's not shy to tell you about that either. But uh, uh, it's just the way it was. Hey, Bob, just before you came on with us tonight, Bill and I were talking about our favorite eight flyers to watch play. And for real, you were on my list. It was mainly because of the way you played back. I swear to God, as the late flyers announcer, Gene Hart wrote in his book, describing your style, he skated so swiftly and with such reckless abandon that he seemed totally out of control. In fact, just about the only way for Kelly to stop himself was to crash into something or somebody. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, it's not too many holes I can shoot in that one. Um, I realized I didn't play that much. I was well-rested. I had lots of energy to give. So if the team needed a spark, you, you got to go give that spark. But, uh, you know, it's funny. Um, um, you guys remember the Hillman brothers, Wayne and Larry Hillman? Sure. So, so Moon, Moonshine, we're sitting on the bench. I, I survived my first three NHL games in exhibition. So now my fourth game, I'm, I'm back in Oshawa. We're playing the, uh, the Oakland Seals. And I'm, I'm sitting there beside Wayne, and he goes, hey, kid, you want to make the team? I'm going, yeah, yeah, what do I do? What do I do? He says, uh, next time I'll go give to that guy with a mustache on, see how you do. Sounds good to me. So next shift out, he was out there, go, let's drop the glove and do the dance. Turned out it was Carl Vadney, and he led the league in penalties the year before that. Thanks for the tip, Mooner. <laughs> <laughs> they probably didn't know that left was coming. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It only hurts for a second. <laughs> Boy, Bob, as Chet said, we were we uh, came up with our list of eight. You have eight uh, eight flyers you've enjoyed watching in your career in Philadelphia. Well, obviously, I love I love I love Clarkie, uh, Bernie. He's just a nutcase, but he's he's one of the most awesome goaltenders out there. So I, I got to run with those two guys. Um, you said you know watching Mark Howe play. I enjoy watching Danny Briere. I, I think that, uh, you know, you, we've had toughness guys all up and down the thing there. Simone Gagne, Mark Recchi, Rick Tockett. Um, you know, I can throw names out there because, you know, I'm there on a game-to-game -game basis, so it's not just watching highlight reel. I see how they play under adversity, you know, coming back after losing some games and that. I see their toughness and standing up uh, for each other. Uh, ben Wilson was fun to play alongside. He, he battled that big Archie Henderson from Washington two or three times and Great fights. You just don't get fights like that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I mentioned Gene Hart a minute ago. Is it true that you and Gene would often trade good-natured or sometimes not so good-natured insults with one another? You know what? Gene and I had, uh, at least I had the most respect for him. And I think it went both ways there. We had a lot of fun. And we traveled, we traveled a lot of different ways. We always had to fly out commercial. And then we'd fly back charter for Saturday night games. And I'd have a lot of fun with Gene and, and he just tore me apart. Um, and Dorn Hoffer would be the referee and uh, <laughs> give you an example. So we're boarding an airplane and Gene would like to prance up and down the, the aisle way, waiting for people to get in and do stuff and that. 
ultimately he comes back and he gets a coke, always gets a coke from the stewardess, you know, being, being wanting to know who, who he kind of is a little bit, which is it's all great, all great stuff, you know, very positive with the family. So you'd be arrested today. So I'd wait till the people are getting on the plane and everything, everybody's settling down. We always sat in the back of the plane. So I'd go get on the microphone and I'd say, uh, excuse me, excuse me, passenger Gene Hart, Mr. Gene Hart, please identify yourself. And of course he'd stand up, wave his hand, momentarily sir we'll have a seatbelt extension for you so please sit down <laughs> so i mean and then he would he would start bugging my iq i wear my iq in the back and we would banter from the time we'd get on the bus because the media used to arrive at that time so uh utmost love for him his wife uh what he did for the school kids as a teacher and all that uh obviously we got lauren hart there so hearing her sing all the time it's always two in the air for dad so um it was it was a real family back there it was a real real family well, you mentioned IQ. Is it true that he said your uh, number on your jersey matched your IQ? Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> but I was one higher than Schultz. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, hey, Al, as, uh, as hockey, if we ever get back to hockey for this year, uh, what what do you think about playing in empty arenas? Boy, that that's got to be rough if that's the way it ends up going. Yeah, unfortunately, we have no control over that, and you got to respect the virus and everything, and. I think it's really going to It sounds like they want to play multiple games throughout the course of the day in there. So that's going to be a bit of an adjustment, I guess, to whittle it down. Um, there's nothing worse than going out and skating in an empty building. Uh, and we all know what practice is like. There's nobody in there while you're breaking your hump. But I'm sure we can find ways of helping to pump that up a little bit. But safety is the first concern. Getting back and getting a resolve to the end of the season and, and hopefully getting somebody hoist the cup is what you want to do, but you want to do that with your integrity to the teams that are right on the bubble more so. Um, and again, it's, it's not my pay grade, so I have no idea, but there's a lot of hurdles to jump over. It's just a shame. The Flyers were playing so well in February and early March, you know, one of the hottest teams in the league. They were, I think one of the favorites to actually compete for the cup, according to Vegas. Um, what do you think of this team? Is, is it a good enough team right now to be a perennial contender, you know, for the next few years? I think, Oh, yeah, I definitely think so. I think uh, you saw Hart come in here, had a couple of good games, and then he kind of faltered, and then he got hurt, and then he twisted around a little bit, bounced back. His confidence was back. His head was going the right way. Defense were really playing good out there. Not too many injuries. Uh, <clears throat> they've really, under uh, uh, A.V. and, and uh, Terry in there, they've really, they've really changed the culture within the locker room, I believe. It's only me thinking this. I have no inside knowledge, but They've really changed the psyche in there. The players are really bought into each other. Um, Claude Giroux, I think, is an outstanding captain. And here's a guy that's got lots of money. He's he's got the stats up there, but you want that you want that cup. You want your name on the cup, and that's what he wants to battle for. And I think he's he's done great. He's he he'll play anywhere you want him to play. Uh, the team's really put out the effort and. Uh, you know, we've got a good a good camp staple down there in, in Lehigh Valley. I mean, we've got some great players down there. They have to make a decision how many to bring up and who's coming up. So I think it's how well everybody can keep themselves in some kind of condition to hit the ice so that, you know, at least we're ahead of the curve. It'd be nice. All right, one final question I have for you, Bob. If, uh, if we get the go-ahead, uh, you know, they're saying in baseball they're going to need, say, three weeks of spring training. Um, how long would it take to get geared up and get these guys back in, get them in playing shape and get ready to go? Um, 
You know, everybody has a different body. Um, we're a pretty young team. A couple older guys on the back end there, but we're a pretty young team. And, you know, you'll, you just lose your timing and, and your sense and whatever. Um, I, again, the coaching staff has done an out, outstanding job for what I see. They will be prepared. They'll know what's expected of them. They'll be running some short shifts out there. It's going to come down to defense and goaltending, but uh, I, I like the team. Um, I like the way Konechny works out there. Uh, you know, Scotty Lawton has played outstanding this year. Not two of your bigger guys, but there they are. They're in there mucking, they're grinding, they're, they're playing in the dirty areas and stuff like that. Um, we've had a great buzz here in the city, uh, marketing-wise and stuff like that. Everything was up, you know, merchandise is selling, tickets are up, the building's rocking, all the renovations in there. So we're, we're good to go. We just, let's go. <laughs> One last question from me, Bob, with no games to watch or to go to, no sports on TV, unless you like Korean baseball. What are you doing with your spare time? Well, I get a phone call from Bernie. You know, Bob, tonight they're going to play the 74-75 the Stanley <laughs> Cup game on TV. I said, he said, so you're going to watch. I said, Bernie, first of all, I said, I know the outcome. Secondly, <laughs> I didn't even play in it. And I said, you're very athletic and you didn't get your due. So, okay, I don't need to watch the game. I can remember the game from watching it as I did. But uh, <laughs> they're just funny people, funny stuff. It's just great memories that I have and very fortunate to have uh, at this point in my life and still having a blast around the team. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, hey, Bob, we want to thank you certainly for coming to join us. Uh, let's do it again. Hopefully we get some hockey going on. We can talk, uh, talk games, talk real stuff too. Yeah, that would be great. And thank you guys for all you do up there. And and, and good luck to you. And everybody stay safe. All Thanks, right, Bob. Appreciate it. All right, see you guys. Thank you. See you. All right. Hey, Chet, let's give a shout out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their website, on their Facebook page, so people can come, come and take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autograph memorabilia for all the Philly teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC118 Razroom. That's right. PPCC118 Razroom on Facebook. Hey, Bill, before we continue, I just want to mention it was 25 years ago this week that Hootie and the Blowfish were in the midst of a run at number one on the album charts with their uh, release, Cracked Rear View, which is a great title, by the way. And it had four or five huge hits on it, like this one. The line, the Dolphins made me cry, stems from the fact that uh, the Dolphins are Darius Rucker's favorite football team, and he was disappointed that while they were getting to the playoffs every year, quite often anyway, under Dan Marino, they just couldn't get over the hump, you know, with that group of guys to get back to the Super Bowl and win it during Marino's time there. So the Dolphins made me cry. That's why that line's in there. And that that song is 25 years old. 25 years old, yep. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That it, that catches me really off guard. I would have yeah. gone with 10. I'm <laughs> <laughs> flying by, my friend. Well, hey, 70s yep. night with Kevin Riley and Bob Kelly. You raised the bar to a new level, my friend. Who do you have coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week? Because we're loaded up. 
Well, something different next week, Bill. We are going to be joined by an old friend and a more recent friend. The first guy has been on with us even more than Kevin Riley and Ray Didinger combined because he's something of an insider for us. He's our fantasy football guru, Fred Hugo, a.k.a. Freddie Burns. The other guy is a partner of Fred's over at Edge of Philly Sports and the guy who also runs RDR Entertainment, Al Zafiri. Al and Fred are joining us because, as we've kind of alluded to last weekend at the top of this week's show, Philly Pressbox Radio is now part of the Edge of Philly Sports Network, which will ultimately mean bigger and better things for us and them. We're going to talk about that in more detail, some of the things we have planned, and talk about the Philly sports scene in general when we're joined next week by Al Zafiri and Freddie Hugo. All right, now, we... Uh... Are we going to do this on Tuesday instead of Wednesday? Are we confirming that? Are we ready to go? I think we are. Let's do it. Let's do it next Tuesday night because Fred and Al are both available. You're in Florida right now. you got all the time in the world, so you'll be available. Well, you see the pool behind me. I don't yeah, have I see the pool. The world. i got swimming to do. <laughs> well, chalk out a block for us on Tuesday night next week. All right. Tuesday, 7 o'clock right here on Facebook Live on Philly Press Box radio page, right? Yep. All right. Sounds good. Hey, um, Chad, we modified and updated our Philly Press Box Radio website where we can now watch this podcast. We have our Vimeos, some current Philly sports articles, some other articles that we've written. Uh, and we have a YouTube channel as well. And you've been uh, keeping that going with some new clips. Yeah, please do check out our YouTube channel. We went live with it, I think, about three weeks ago. And we already have more than a dozen videos up there. I believe there's 14 videos up there for you. It's our last full four, uh, full four shows, four full shows. You know what I mean? Uh, they're all there. This week's will be there tomorrow. And some of our best recent interviews and a few other goodies are there as well. Several of them have attracted lots of viewers already, which is nice to see. We'd like to uh, see more of you there. We'd like to see more of you people subscribing to our channel. So, Get on the case. Just go to YouTube, type in Philly Press Box in the search, and uh, hit the subscribe button. Nothing to it. No charge even. And, uh, hey, don't forget that we also have our Philly Press Box Radio T-shirts for sale. Yes, sir, we are selling our Philly Press Box Radio shirts that we have in stock anyway at our cost. Uh, The shirts are available in unisex sizes, medium through 3XL. You can choose from regular for 10 bucks or dry fit for $12, and that is $5 below what we were charging when they first came out. Add $2 if you need 2XL or 3XL. Regular material shirts are cotton polyester. Dry fit are 100% polyester. Our green logo shirts, like Bill is wearing tonight, um, you'll, you'll see the logo on the front. The sponsor's logos are on the back. You can choose from green, gray, or black background and specify whether you want regular material or dry fit. If you need them shipped, add $7 if you're getting one, $10 if ordering two. They make a great gift for a Philly sports fan. And as Kevin Riley mentioned, uh, Father's Day is coming up. So keep that in mind. A great gift for the father or husband or brother in your life who might want a Philly Press Box radio shirt. You can contact us, that's Bill or me, or uh, go to the upper right-hand corner of our phillypressboxradio.com website and click on that and get your order in. Yeah, and I can tell you, Chet, uh, we, we have sold some in the last week, a uh, couple weeks since we've been advertising this again. There is one green dry fit shirt left uh, I believe and it is a double X so if somebody's thinking about it and they're a double X let us know we'll get it to you but the greens they were a hot item and we are sold out of them 
But if you want a collectible green shirt, they can get the one off of your back, but you got to pay extra for that. Well, no, I, I, <laughs> I would, I would work with them. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you would. All right. Uh, Mr. Chesco, do you have a parting shot tonight? Well, Bill, we had Willie Nile on our show last week, and I'll be honest, I can't give a totally unbiased review of Willie's new album, New York at Night, because I'm such a fan of Willie. He's just an amazing, underrated singer-songwriter. I'm a fan of everything this guy does. The new album arrived in my mailbox on Monday, and I got to be honest, I listened to it pretty much on repeat on Tuesday. I got to say, the ballad Under This Roof is just a perfect song for these crazy times. Let's hear it. Under this roof, my arms will find you. Under this roof, we'll plant a seed. Under this roof, I will remind you. You'll find all the love you need. That's Willie doing his thing. Uh, there are 12 songs on the album, a great mix of rockers, mid-tempo tunes, up-tempo tunes, ballads. Uh, many of them, as the title might indicate, reference New York City, which Willie has called home now the last 45 or so years. The song A Little Bit of Love has the line, every dog gonna have his day. And I'm hoping that Willie gets his. He deserves it. New York at Night, Willie's 13th studio album, is another real good collection of tunes. Find it on iTunes, Amazon, or via WillieNile.com. This guy is awesome. Check him out. All right. Sounds good. Hey, uh, for my parting shot tonight, Chip, I don't have one. And we are not doing trivia tonight uh, because, as you can see, my scenery changed a little bit from up north to uh, to down here. That That is sunshine back there, Chet. Um, yeah, I see. I see. Shoulder. And, uh, but there was a travel day in there that uh, to get from there to here. And uh, it took up a little bit more time than I needed it to. So uh, we will put off the trivia until next week. So we will not be doing that tonight awesome couple other quick things uh two more deaths that we unfortunately have to mention one of my favorite comedians of all time comedic actor primarily fred willard love that guy from all the best in show type movies and those kind of things he was on a show back in the 70s fernwood tonight and later america tonight uh kind of a fake talk show thing that's where i really really just fell in love with his work uh, more recently, he was the father of Phil Dunphy on Modern Family. The great Fred Willard left us over the weekend. So rest in peace, Fred. And also, um, Phyllis George, who, as you know, was a Miss America in the early 70s. And then, then she went on to become kind of a groundbreaker for women in TV sports casting, joining the crew at the NFL today, Brent Musburger, Jimmy the Greek, Irv Cross and company. Uh, and she was actually you know, very, very good on there. And she was a groundbreaker for women in tv sports she passed away over the weekend at the age of 70 yeah and actually became uh first lady of the state of kentucky after That's her right. time in sports as well yes she did uh, she was certainly a groundbreaker hey and, and one other thing i was going to throw out pound threw out a name that me and you both missed that we probably uh with a little more thought simone gagne what a great player and neither yeah. even mentioned him yeah, I, I kind of thought of him originally, and then I forgot about him. He probably wouldn't have made my top eight, but I should have at least mentioned him in the near misses because he, he was a good one. Absolutely. Absolutely, he was. All right. Well, hey, let's wrap this up. Let's thank our special guests, Kevin Riley, Bob Kelly, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LakeYourAge.com, 
PPCC 118 Raz Room and Dave Lavoy of Allstate Insurance of Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chechesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, May 27th at 7 p.m. Or May 26th. May 26th at 7 p.m. Tuesday. All right. You can see us live on Facebook or listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or on all the Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts locations. I hope Philadelphia sports fans and stay safe out there.